It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. It's almost surreal surreal seeing uh, so many images of the Supreme Court across all the TV screens I have uh, here before me. It's, it's, uh, it's not often that the Supreme Court takes center stage. Uh, and when it does, it is, uh, it is very much uh, center stage. We, throughout the day, are, of course, are going to continue to follow all the developments on this. Uh, and uh, right now it looks like the, the president has uh, a list narrowed down to five people. I was aware of three potentials. Later on in the program, uh, we'll share with you some of the details uh, on those who are on the list right now, or at least on the supposed uh, list. We have thus far spoken only about Amy uh, Coney Barrett. There are others uh, who deserve uh, to be introduced to the audience here. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to continue on a, a series we started uh, just a, a few short weeks ago where we look at uh, essentially a day in the life of a candidate. We are in the final stretch now before November's election, and there are candidates right now who are doing everything they can uh, to get their message out, uh, to interact with potential voters, uh, would-be constituents, uh, stakeholders, uh, and a lot of them, Uh, have lives to live. And so getting a sense of uh, how are they meeting their political objectives while balancing uh, their own personal lives and careers, it's a fascinating little look into, uh, you know, this type of human behavior, (laughs) to put it bluntly. Uh, Joining me now is a candidate for Utah's 2nd Congressional District. Uh, Kale Weston enjoys the Democratic nominee for that office. Uh, Mr. Weston, sir, how are you? Doing well. Thanks, Lee, for the opportunity. I think people do often forget that uh, politics can sometimes uh, have a human dimension, and we all should uh, remember that even uh, during COVID when it's a lot harder to to do it the old-fashioned way. Yeah. Well, well, let's start there. Uh, You probably, when making decisions about whether or not you would challenge Chris Stewart for this office, uh, you probably didn't have uh, COVID as a consideration, unless you're late to the game. How has COVID uh, impacted your your, approach? your attempt to, to seek office here? Yeah, the COVID hit, you know, about halfway through our process of, of seeking the Democratic nomination. And I think what COVID did is just reinforce the importance of why uh, my team and I, and we've got an amazing team and over 100 volunteers working toward the same goal, which is there's a lot of hurt out there. There's a lot of people who are one or two checks away from, you know, not being able to pay rent. There's a lot of concern about if you lose your job, you lose your health insurance. So those were those were pre-existing reasons to protect pre-existing conditions in our healthcare system. Um, but COVID just, I think, has shown all of us how brittle uh, a lot of our system is. And now that the pieces are are around us, the question is how do we how do we put them back together in a better place? So I think it's only reinforced the importance of uh, what was already going to be a very important election year. What are your interactions with these potential voters looking like now? Uh, are you doing like Zoom calls and such like that, or are you able to uh, establish events where you can see folks in person? What's that like for you? Like today, talk to me about the consider the the potential voters you may interact with today. Well, I got a, an email forwarded to me from our campaign manager. It was from a voter who 
questioned why we were focusing on the, the postal service, and this voter basically said that rural voters don't matter, and that you know we shouldn't be focusing on the postal service. So I get uh, messages from people who disagree with me, but I usually try and circle back and and start a conversation. Um, the usual day is really there's no predictability to it. We have an early call. Uh, comms director, campaign manager at 9 a.m. And having been in the State Department for 11 years, um, seven of those years were in Iraq and Afghanistan. So I got used to a lot of organization. And, and honestly, uh, what I did in those places uh, is a lot harder than running for Congress. But I believe this is one of the most important things I'll ever do. So then what usually follows is the to-do list. And of course, the to-do list is always getting longer and longer and longer. But the rewarding parts are less the people that reach out to tell you what you're doing wrong and maybe the people who say, hey, I've been waiting for someone to listen. I've been waiting for someone to to return my phone call or to return an email. And a lot of my time is actually doing the political due diligence of surprising people. I I also deliver yard signs, which annoys our campaign team um, because it takes time. But I drive a 17-year-old truck, and when I'm out on the west side, I actually know the construction projects that are going on in a part of the district that I don't live. And when I'm delivering yard signs near the refinery, I think, geez, if, if, if voters smelled this every day on the east side, they would have a problem too. So I think it's a lot of trying to just meet voters where they are um, that has to be through a lot of computer stuff right now, but it doesn't entirely have to be that way. And then finally, I'll say that we made a point um, in the spring, even before I got the nomination, uh, to put a lot of mileage on, on my old trucks. So we've done almost 5,000 miles uh, across the district. And the district is basically half the state geographically from you know, uh, Farmington all the way down to St. George over toward Big Water and, and up along Lake Powell. Uh, through the beautiful Red Rock parts of the center part and southern part of the state, all the way up to here in Salt Lake City. Going back to the first thing you shared with us, that email you got from a, uh, from a staffer letting you know about uh, a potential voter who invites you to leave the Postal Service alone because the rural folks don't vote anyway. Uh, have you? Well, first off, did I characterize that correctly? And have you had a chance to speak with that person? And do you intend to? I'm about. I'm about to. I literally just read it, you know, right before I got on this call. So that's why it's on my mind. And, you what know, are you going to tell them? I. I'm sorry. What, what will you tell them? How will you respond? I'll say, hey, I I hear you've got some questions about what we're focusing on in our campaign, and I'm curious, you know, what issues are important to you? I mean, really, I believe politics is about listening, and, you know, everyone always says they go on a listening tour, but I think in order to listen um, and understand, it requires deep listening. I think it requires reaching out to a voter that would be easily considered to be, well, they're not going to vote for me anyway. And like I said, if you're in rural Utah, I'll tell you, those post offices are probably the top issue. And why I love CD2, and it's a gerrymandered district, you know, it's an R plus 16, give or take, is that I think for our country to come together, the only way we're going to do that is if as as a Democrat, I'm not only running in Salt Lake City, that I'm out and about listening to a number of diverse voters and trying to find common ground. So if she may not think the postal service is important, I will probably explain why during COVID, if someone can't get their medicine or their their checks to survive, that's literally a life and death problem uh, for them. Then maybe she'll get closer to being a more um, conscientious voter. I'm going to ask you one last question. And 
if I'm honest, I'll admit up front that it's unfair to ask of someone who's seeking uh, elected office in the House of Representatives as the House uh, really has no role in uh, judicial nominations. Uh, but as a former communications director working uh, for the United States Congress, uh, I can tell you that I uh, fielded a number of questions and received a number of questions I then had to pass on to the boss about issues uh, irrelevant to the body. Uh, you have any thoughts about uh, about this new vacancy? Should the president be nominating this weekend, and should the Senate uh, move forward with a confirmation hearing? Well, it's a, a relevant question. Um, I believe the president's going to do that, and I believe Mitch McConnell is going to schedule a vote. Whether that vote happens before or after our election, I think, is what's important. And I think some of the more moderate Republican senators, and we'll see if Senator Romney has a position, I'm not sure yet if he's spoken. I believe he has not. Yeah, I believe not that this is such a, it's such a crucial election that, you know, if there's an area where we ought not to divide even further, it's an issue like uh, a Supreme Court nomination. And, of course, we've all read um, the quotes of people saying the exact opposite uh, the last time there was an opening. So I'm a big believer in trusting the people, and I think this election is going to be a referendum on so many important things that we need to make sure that we are very deliberate and very fair in this process and that it's not political with a capital P. Um, I, unfortunately, I think that that's the direction it's moving, but I'll be speaking in more detail about uh, the importance of what she represented as a justice on the court and I think what, what, again, what we as a country need to do to try to come together. The, one of the big reasons why I'm running is because, as a, a friend overseas said, Kale, the problem is you're in love with your country and you just can't let it go. Well, I am. I really care about this red-blue divide. And if we're not careful, the day after the election won't be about all the branches. It'll be about a lot worse. And we all, I think, whether we're Republican, Democrat, or nothing, um, in, unaffiliated or independent, we need to to think very hard about what we can do to to de-escalate and to come together as a country. Um, that's what I did as a State Department guy in the war zones. I was working with former Taliban guys to try and get them not to shoot our troops, and I feel like you know I've got a lot of experience to uh, to to make sure we're focused on common issues and not on uh, division. All right, Kyle Weston, we'll leave it at that. Uh, you. Candidate for Utah's 2nd Congressional District. Thank you for your time. Best of luck to you, all right? Thank you. And the one other thing that I'm doing a lot more sure. is I'm running a lot longer and I've started to lift the weights because <laughs> I realize in politics, if you don't if you don't make that personal time, uh, watch the Science Channel as well, uh, it can, it can uh, demand all your time. And I tell our team that politics is important, but it's not the most important thing in any of our lives. Very good. Stay healthy. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we return, uh, we're going to look back to 2017. Uh, There was a confirmation hearing, and Amy Coney Barrett, you you know her. We've spoken about her. She's on the very short list and very well may be the president's uh, nominee to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. But she is also a very religious woman, and that religion may have been used against her in 2017. She was able to overcome it. Will it resurface this go-around? We'll find out next. On Live Mike, I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. 
Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.